0: Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations, book recommendation episodes, and insider information on all of the newest releases that I have read and endorsed, and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. In 2023, I am adding a new segment to my Tuesday episodes called read a Requests. Listeners can submit a book they loved and tell me why they loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads. There is a Google form included in today's show notes. I would love for you to send in a request. If you love to read, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group. To access additional content, including bonus episodes, and early reads and pre-pub author chats. For February, Lauren Willig's new book is one of my selections as well as A Likely Story, a debut by Lee Abramson. The link to join that is in the show notes as well. Today, Kelly Hooker is joining me for a special Behind the Books episode where she asks me questions about the podcast, my reading life, and how it all got started. In April, she will join me again, this time to ask your questions. So please feel free to submit anything you wanna ask me either through my website, DM me on Instagram, or complete the Google form that is linked in the show notes. I cannot wait to hear what you want to know, and I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Welcome, Kelly. I am so glad you are back on my podcast again. How are you today?
1: I am doing great. Thank you again for having me. And we are going to do something a little bit different today. We are going to do a behind the books episode. I thought that it would be so fun for us to turn the tables a little bit and for me to ask you some questions about your reading life, how the podcast got started, and some of that behind the scenes information.
0: I loved that idea, and I'm so glad you proposed it, and I'm looking forward to diving in.
1: Yeah, I've always wondered just about your background, and I've kind of heard little snippets here and there of you know how you got started with the podcast and just your life in general, and I thought, oh, I wish I could just sit down and have a cup of coffee with her, and I was wondering if other readers might have some of the same questions, so I thought, why not give this a try? So here we go.
0: Sounds great. And we can have our virtual cups of coffee though. I'm drinking Diet Dr. Pepper and you can drink coffee and we can chat. That sounds perfect.
1: Okay. So let's just start with your background information. Can you tell me a little bit about your family and where you grew up and kind of your earlier years?
0: Absolutely. We can rewind all the way. I was actually born here in Houston. My dad worked for Exxon his entire career. So, I was born here, and then we moved to Connecticut for a couple of years when I was in second and third grade. We went into the city a lot then. That's when I began to develop such an interest in New York City. And then we moved down to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and we lived there for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And then we came back to Houston, and I went to the rest of middle school and high school here. And then I went to Northwestern University in Chicago for my undergrad. And then I went to law school at Duke University in Durham. And then I ended up back here working as a lawyer for a while.
1: Oh, wow. So, was it your dad's job that was bringing you to all of these different areas?
0: Yes. He was a lifelong Exxon worker, and they used to move people everywhere. And actually, after I moved home in 1994 to start working here, they were transferred. So, we didn't overlap hardly at all. They were transferred to Sydney, Australia for four years. And so, then I visited them a bunch there, spent a lot of time in Australia, which was wonderful. And that's where I began to really love Australia and those stories that are set there. And then when he came back in 98, or when they came back in 98, he retired and they lived like six blocks from us for the rest of the time that they were around.
1: Wow, that is so cool that you've been able to see so many different places. I've just lived in the same state or within an hour you know, of my hometown. And so hearing about somebody who's just traveled the world and just gotten to see all of those different things is so interesting to me.
0: Well, it was really cool because when we lived in Brazil, they gave my dad and mom a bunch of time off. They called it home leave and they would give us like six week chunks in the winter and the summer. And so they would take advantage of that and we would go through a bunch of the different South American and Central American countries and then spend, you know, maybe three weeks in the U.S. and then do that again. So we got to see all sorts of cool places. And I have so many crazy stories from that time period.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Do you have a favorite location in South America that you remember visiting?
0: Definitely. It's Machu Picchu, Peru. And I'm actually planning a trip for us for next December to take my kids because I just thought it was the coolest place that I've probably ever been. One of my top three. And so I want to make sure they get to see it as well.
1: That's amazing. I went in college right after college and it was phenomenal. I'll never forget it. So that, I think your kids will have an amazing time.
0: And it's been so long since I've been there that I'm looking forward to seeing it again myself.
1: Oh, yeah. That's amazing.
0: We had some kind of crazy stories, like we visited Guatemala and we ended up staying in the same hotel as the vice president at the time. And then he was assassinated like a week later. And we just had kind of all these other weird stories, things that would happen. You know, we stayed in Panama one time and this huge fire broke out across the street. And then we ended up not being able to leave the hotel for like a day and a half. So we just had a lot of interesting stories, things that, happened when I was young that, you know, definitely left an imprint.
1: Wow. What an adventure. Never a dull moment, I'm sure. Yes. So have you always liked to read?
0: I've always liked to read since I was really little. I loved Nancy Drew. I loved Trixie Belden. I love Laura Ingalls Wilder. I just would read anything I could get my hands on. I read Agatha Christie from a young age. My dad had a really great experience growing up, but his dad was pretty checked out. He was just really busy with what he was doing. He was an alcoholic. And so he wasn't very involved in my dad's life. And so my dad really wanted to go the opposite direction. You know, I feel like in those situations, people always follow their parent or they do the opposite. And he definitely did the opposite. He was a fabulous father. And he wanted to make sure that he shared interests with both me and my sister. And so they both my mom and dad love to read. And so my dad made it this kind of fun thing to collect all of the Nancy Drews and to make sure we had every single one of them. And same with the Agatha Christie's and shared their love of reading. So I, I was that kid that would just put the bedspread over my head with the flashlight and read forever.
1: Yeah, I just think it's so great that your dad was really intentional about raising readers and getting his kids excited about that and making sure that you and your sister had the right books in your hands that got you excited about it and fired up about reading. Because I think that every kid could love reading, to read if they had the right person cheering them on in that corner.
0: That's one of the things as a parent that you read a lot about to model reading. If your kids see you reading, then they're going to want to read. So I've always done that. I mean, I love to read anyway, so it's natural. But even now with my kids older, we'll find a time where we'll all sit in my room and read, or we'll sit in the den and read. And it's just something that we all enjoy together. The kids will swap books around, they'll be telling me all about whatever it is they're reading. And I just think it is. It's one of those things that You want to develop young. And I was thinking about some of the books that I have loved always. Like I have loved mysteries. So I read the Lawrence Block series all during the 1980s and 90s. I was at the very beginning of reading the CJ Box and the Robert Craze and the Jacqueline Winspear. Like I have followed all those series since their first books came out. And it's kind of now crazy to think back that, you know, it's been several decades on a lot of those.
1: Yeah, that is so interesting just to see the development of a series and just to be able to look forward with anticipation to the next release.
0: But then also, you know, people talk about Louise Penny, and I tried one one time, and I only got maybe 50 pages in, and it probably was just the wrong time to try it, and I didn't start at the beginning. But then it's so daunting to look back and think, well, I can't read 18 or 20 or however many books she has now. I don't have the time. And That's a lot, but it's so nice on many of these when I just started from the beginning and all I have to do is just keep up year after year.
1: Yeah, that makes it less daunting for sure. Yes. Well, tell me a little bit more about your first career as a lawyer and how you ended up making the switch because I see a lot of authors who were previously lawyers um, and it just seems like there's this pull of ex-lawyers joining the book community in some way. And so I'm really curious about how that worked for you.
0: It is interesting because I feel like often when I'm interviewing authors, they say they were lawyers first. I think there's a lot of reading and I think there's a lot of analyzing. There's a lot of writing. So all of that kind of factors into being a lawyer, depending obviously on what type of law you're practicing. But I could see where somebody who kind of went through that process would then turn themselves to writing a book. I have no interest in writing a book. I have no idea what I would write about, but I love writing reviews and articles and things like that. So I worked in the healthcare field. Healthcare is very big here in Houston. You know, we have one of the best medical centers in the country. So the healthcare field in terms of the legal field is really big here. So I worked in that the entire time I was at the law firm that I started at. And that's actually where I met my husband. And then when I had my first daughter 22 years ago, hard to believe that, I had a lot of health trouble. So I was on bed rest for most of that. So then I just didn't go back after I had her. She she was really early and there was just a lot happening. So I took a break. And then maybe a year after that, I went to a different law firm, much smaller, and did securities arbitration. And I did that until I had my son, which was in between that, you know, like four and a half years between my oldest and my youngest. And then by the time I had him, three little kids, I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. It's really hard to work especially in certain legal professions part time, because like with arbitration and things like that, as soon as an arbitration gets near, you can't really say, oh, I'm sorry, I only work Monday, Wednesday, you know, and so it was just difficult to try to schedule it all and have it work and have everybody be where they should be and just feel like I was doing a good job.
1: Yeah, I can see that. It's so hard to balance all of the things as a parent. And so it's nice that you were able to have the opportunity to step back and focus on your kids.
0: Definitely. So I volunteered a ton at their schools for a long time, did all sorts of, you know, big jobs and enjoyed that. And it was fun because I could see what they were doing and I'd be up at the school. And it's about seven years ago, I was working at one of the events at my kids' school. And somebody, we were talking about books. I've always loved to talk about books. People have always asked me what I was reading. They've always asked me for recommendations. And so I was sitting there working at this event. And this friend of mine said, I'm part of this really big Facebook book group. You should join. Well, this was, it was seven or eight years ago, I didn't even know what a Facebook group was. I mean, I was on Facebook, you know, connecting with college friends and high school friends and all of that. But I was like, oh, what? And so then she said, here, I'll invite you. So she joined me. And that opened up this whole world of authors connecting with readers and reading books early and writing reviews. And Linda Cohen-Leugman, who I just hosted for my salon, her book was the very first book I reviewed, The Two-Family House. And so it's just really fun because she and I have stayed connected and I got to meet her in person last month. So it was just kind of the way I got started was doing all of that. And initially it was just, you know, a side thing and I was still doing volunteer work and then it kind of went from there.
1: Oh, wow. So Facebook is good for some things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I laugh because there are so much book stuff on Facebook. So I spend a decent amount of time on Facebook, but it's all in the book communities. I don't really scroll my regular feed very often. So I end up missing stuff sometimes. So I try now to scroll my feed to make sure I'm not missing anything important from my friends and then spend the time in the book groups.
1: Yeah, that's the place to be for
0: sure. Yes.
1: So then how did you make a jump just kind of casually reviewing and being involved in this Facebook group to really diving into the literary world and making this more of your profession?
0: Well, the first thing that I did once I got started with the book group, was realize that I needed some place to review. Obviously, Goodreads is a good place to review, but most of the publishers and whoever else I was dealing with wanted another platform. So I was trying to decide between a blog, Instagram, Facebook. The Bookstagram community was there, but nothing like it is now. And this was probably six years ago now. And so I just, I've never been a huge blog follower. So I thought, you know, Instagram's nice. It's in one place. And you can see everybody's stuff by scrolling through one feed that all appealed to me. So I got a friend, one of my friend's daughters (laughs) who was out of college to kind of walk me through Instagram because I'd never used it and show me, you know, kind of how to set all this stuff up. And then we just brainstormed a name, having no idea that it would still be the name I'm using all these years later and came up with thoughts from a page. She helped me get it all situated. So I started with Instagram, started building all of that, having another outlet for my book musings. And then I think I started working at Murder by the Book. I had been asking her over and over again, like, did she have a spot? I would love a job, just really part-time. And they had somebody leave. And so she decided to follow a different model to replace that person and have like three part-time people instead of one full-time person. So I started working there. And that was a huge boost because first, I understood how darn many books come out all the time. Like, I felt like I read a lot till I started working there. I just had no concept of the sheer volume of books coming out every week, but also I made so many great connections, you know, with publishers and understanding how you book authors and how these author events work and conferences. And so that was a a really great step forward.
1: Yeah, that sounds really like a great opportunity. And I've heard of Murder by the Book, too. Just it sounds like it's a pretty big indie bookstore. Is that correct?
0: It is. It's a decent size floor plan. But it is so well known because of its focus on crime fiction. There used to be a lot more of these type of stores. I think there's only maybe four: Mysterious Bookshop, Murder by the Book, and I think there's one or two others. But she really is well known. She actually is the woman who owns it is named McKenna Jordan. She consults with Macmillan on all of their mysteries. I mean, she is a big presence in the mystery world. So it was a great way to learn more from her, make connections, and so in the middle of all that, Catherine Center lives here. Her kids go to school with mine. And so How to Walk Away was coming out. And I said, oh, I'd love to have a party for you. You know, be so much fun. And you could come and talk about the book and people can get them signed. And so I did that and it was hugely successful. And everybody's like, when is your next one? And I hadn't really thought about a next one. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. So I had met a couple of different authors in this Facebook group. And then I had actually personally met them when I'd gone up to Book Expo. I went to Book Expo for three or four years, the huge book conference that used to be in New York, but it's now been canceled. And so I had met up with them. We'd all gone. there had been like a big party. We'd all met. And so one of them is from Dallas, Amy Popel. We're going to be reading her new book for Patreon in January. But she was from Dallas living in New York. And so I said, well, if you ever get down to Dallas, drive down to Houston and I'll host you. She's like, oh, I'd love that. So we set a date. And then I ended up thinking, oh, it might be more fun to have two people. So I asked Susie Orman-Schnall, who I'd also met, and it was the Subway Girls that was coming out that year. And she said, I'd love to come. We set this date in October, and it was October 2018. And they came in, but I started thinking, I don't think I can host this at my house and be interviewing them, but also greeting all the guests, making sure they have what they need. You know, I just couldn't do both. Yeah. So at the same time, I had a really good friend. We'd had this huge job together at the middle school where our kids work. She loves to host people at her home and her home is perfect for it. So I was like, this is the weirdest question, but would you have any interest in co-hosting this book event with me? She's like, oh, I'd love to. i love to have people over. This would be so fun. So we did that. And again, everybody's like, when's the next one? And so then we launched Conversations from a Page, which is my literary salon.
1: So where is the salon hosted now? Is it?
0: At her home.
1: Oh, still.
0: Yeah, it's at Krista's home. And so we're, you know, we co-founders, we work together on all of it. And we host seven to eight a year. Obviously, COVID hiccup that, but in non-pandemic times, we host seven to eight a year. We decided to do it as kind of an alternative to all of these bookstore author events, which are always at night. So ours are in the morning. First thing in the morning, like 8:30 to 1030. People can drop by after they drop their kids off on their way to work. It's come and go. The authors usually talk from like 9:15 to 10. And we always pair two authors. We try really hard to pair in different genres versus Again, has bookstores are usually like two thriller authors or two historical fiction. We try to mix it up because we found that the conversations are so engaging. And then people will come for one author, but then realize, oh, I would love this other book as well. So it's worked so well. And then at Christmas, we have now we have Valerie Kaler from Blue Willow Bookshop because we now pair with Blue Willow. And she comes and gives all her recommendations. And then we have three little pop up shops. So that just happened in early December.
1: That is so fun. I want to come. I know I want you to
0: come. (laughs) (laughs) We get like 80 to 100 people sometimes over that. It really varies, but it's just so fun. And what has been one side benefit, which I feel like is kind of ongoing through all of my thoughts about the book world, is that we've brought all these really great people together. So it's not one group that comes. I mean, we get younger people, older people, like we have all these people who come from retirement communities because they like the morning. And same with like the moms, because you yeah. know, their kids are so busy at night and high school kids, you know, you just don't have the time to come at night. But they've all become friends. Like this last week, people were like, you're my literary salon friend. And it just makes me so happy every single time. Like all these people are meeting and realizing they share interests and everything. It's just so fun to bring people together and then to talk about books. And we generally try to host people that aren't really high profile, because I think that's one of the things I really focus on is trying to get the word out on books that maybe aren't everywhere. But occasionally we do host somebody big like we're hosting Jane Harper in February and I am thrilled to pieces.
1: Oh my goodness, I just can't imagine like having Jane Harper walk through the door of my friend's house, you know, just here she is, ready ready to chat.
0: <laughs> and that's how it was with Ellen Hildebrand. We hosted her and people came in from Galveston, from like Port Arthur, from San Antonio. It was crazy. Like, you know, they were coming in from all over and she just, you know, walked right in Krista's front door. And I was like, this is so funny. And the cool thing is, because again, and I love author events at bookstores, so this is no knocking of them. It's just a different, it's an alternative, a different way of doing things that they mix and mingle. So at a bookstore, most of the time, the author stays in the back, signing books, everybody sits in their chairs, the author comes out and talks, there's a line through and you're done. But for ours, the authors mix and mingle the entire time they're not talking. So everybody gets to have conversations with them, get their books signed when they want. It's super casual, but it's so fun.
1: That sounds really fun. Just right up my alley. I, I've got to make it to one at some point.
0: You do. We need to figure out a time when Benjamin's a little bit older. So Scott's mm-hmm. like, OK, I can handle this and get you down here.
1: <laughs> I think so, too. Can you talk a little bit about how you started writing for various publications?
0: I was having to think back on that this morning because, you know, things kind of evolve and you have to think exactly how did I do that? I started with the Buzz Magazines, which is a big magazine here in Houston that goes out to a large group of neighborhoods. There's kind of four sections. Neighborhood sounds small, but they have a huge following and they, they cover a wide range. I write a monthly column for them that's in their print column that's called Buzz Reads. And I highlight five reads a month, usually that are coming out. But sometimes if the month is slower, I'll pick up one that, I didn't get in before, you know, so something that's just new, but maybe not necessarily always new in that month. And then I write a weekly online column called page turners. So I started with page turners. I had been sending them emails and I would love to write a column and I'd love to do this. And I just wasn't getting anywhere. And once I launched the salon, they actually came and covered the salon for one of their magazines and we were on the cover and it was really fun. And so that was great press for us. And then I said, I'd really love to write a column. (laughs) So Then I had kind of got my foot in the door. So I started the online column in August of 2019, and it ended up in one of their top columns of the year. They do like our top 10 columns of the year and our top 10 pieces, you know, articles that were popular. And so after that, in February of 2020, I said, I'd really love to write something in print as well. So they agreed to it right around the time COVID was starting. My first one ran April of 2020. But the funny thing about the print column is you have to have it in Over a month ahead. So like if I am writing January, I turn it in, no, December 1st. So I really have to plan ahead. I have to have the books so I can take a photo of them because they require an actual photo, no graphics, nothing pulled from the internet. So it takes me a little bit more planning and thinking ahead for that one. And my page turners, I just give it to them like the day before it goes up.
1: Interesting. Well, I love that your persistence paid off and that you were able to finally get your column.
0: Yes, I think they thought she's never going away. <laughs> uh, and then for She Reads, they had reached out to me a long time ago and needed help with historical fiction. And so I just started doing that. I was just sending them in, but eventually I was like, I don't have time for this unless we convert it to like a pay thing. So then they came back and said, Yes, we'll pay you. So I was like, Great. So I do almost all of their historical fiction columns.
1: That's great. I've seen you do some of the historical fiction roundups, and it's always so fun to see your picks.
0: Yeah, I enjoy that because it really keeps me paying attention to what's coming ahead.
1: Yeah, I always love that, too. It's just a separate hobby, just planning ahead and seeing what's coming next.
0: That's one of my favorite parts of all of this.
1: I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you got to meet with groups and starting to share your book recommendations in that format.
0: You know, that's a great question, and I don't know that I can totally remember how that started. I've always really liked to talk books. Valerie Kaler, who owns Blue Willow, forever came to my house when my kids were young in an elementary school. We'd have these things called sociables. You'd have this party at your house and you'd sell the spots as a fundraiser at the elementary school. I don't know if your school does anything like that. No, that sounds fun though. It was very fun. It was all sorts of things. Some were just kid related, like you'd host a, you know, mini golf party or you'd host a pottery painting party and like you would pay for it. And then people would pay at the school for the slots and then it would be fundraising for the PTO. So we did that forever with Valerie coming and talking books at my house and people would pay for these spots. It was hugely popular. And I think I thought, well, I can go talk to groups about books too. You know, she and I read very differently. So I'm not stepping on her toes because we overlap some, but we go in different directions as well. So I just started telling people like, I'd love to come talk to you about books. And it's such a word of mouth thing. So I spoke to one NCL group. I don't know if you're familiar with National Charity League, probably not with boys and your boys are young, but it's like a junior league thing, but for girls and moms. So I spoke to one group and then that kind of spread. So now I speak to a bunch of those groups. And over time, people would just recommend my name, like, oh, Cindy Burnett speaks to people about books. And so it just kind of took off. And it's really seasonal. I just had a bunch before the holidays and I usually have a bunch more before summer. Well, that is so fun. It's so fun because... I just love these conversations. I was very nervous early on because before all of this began, I was a terrible public speaker. Like I just, it would give me, I break out in hives almost to like stand up in front of people. So early on, especially if the groups were larger, because most of the groups I speak to are like 20 to 30 people, but I've had a couple that were like 100 and something, which is a lot of people for me. And I would just really go through the books. But now I've learned, because I'm so much more comfortable talking about all this stuff all the time, that you know, they like to hear all the little details. So I tell them about the differences in covers and how they change from hardback to paperback or the UK cover and the US cover. And I bring examples and I talk about the galleys and how I get them early and funny publishing stories. And people love all of that. So I incorporate that into my talk about whatever it is I'm recommending.
1: That is so fun just to hear the behind the scenes, especially if you're not involved in the book world heavily and you're just a regular reader, that's great to know.
0: I think people think it's really fun. And then also I end up recruiting all these people for our salon (laughs) because I'm like, we have this salon. If you like to read, you should come to this. So it's been nice because everything just kind of integrates together.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so great. It's just like you're living my dream. That's so fun.
0: (laughs) You'll get there. Your kids are young now. You know, you can't even fathom what it's like when they're that age because you're like in the thick of it. My kids do all their own stuff now. Two of them aren't even home. You know, they're in college. So it's a different time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, what compelled you to start the podcast?
0: People kept telling me, you should start a podcast. They would come to the salon. They thought I interviewed authors well. That was something I clearly enjoyed. And I was like, I don't even really know what a podcast is. So this was all pre-COVID. And so I'm not a huge podcast listener even now. I do listen more than I used to, but I'm not a huge podcast listener. And so I kept saying, no, I don't really have time. And you know, there's just a lot going on. My dad was really sick. I was busy uh, helping my parents. And there was just a lot happening. But then COVID hit in March of 2020. And I was doom scrolling all the time and I'm super type A. And so I just decided like, I need something to focus on that is not what is happening with COVID. (laughs) You know, like there was just way too much focus on all of that. So I was like, maybe I'll look into what it's like to start a podcast, having no concept of how much effort goes into a podcast. So I spent about six weeks researching every step of the way. Thank goodness for Google. I just Googled and Googled and Googled. And then laid out, there's like maybe seven steps, kind of a process for the equipment and where it would host and how I would edit and where I'd record and how I would get the authors, how I would launch, all of it. So I kind of laid all that out. And then Susie Orman-Schnall is a friend of mine, again, from the first salon. And I said, would you mind being my first guest? I'm super nervous. I don't know how it's all going to go. And she said, absolutely. It was the pub day for We Came Here to Shine, which was her latest historical fiction. And so it worked really well. And she was great because a couple of the things I would picked didn't work initially. So we had to switch and kind of trying to figure that all out. I did not have an editor at the time. And then when I spent 10 hours editing just her episode, so I said, then I'm going to need an editor. So I tried to spend more time in podcast Facebook groups, found an editor and went from there because I was like, there's no way I can spend 10 hours editing every episode.
1: Well, how great that you used that time during COVID just to really bring something new and fun into the world. I love that so much.
0: It was really fun. You know, I kind of went round and round. I am a shorter podcast listener. Like I don't, I don't really have the time nor the interest to sit down for like an hour, hour and a half to listen to something. Like I just don't have that window. So I, I thought there aren't a lot of shorter ones. So I thought I'll target that 20 to 30 minute window. And then if people have longer, they can listen to a couple of them. I thought I'll do two a week, Tuesday and Friday. Hopefully I can fill that. We'll see what will happen. So I started lining people up. And initially, I just lined up anybody that the book sounded good. I did always read it, but I hadn't always read it before I booked them. I just wanted to kind of introduce people to authors and get that out there and go from there. But over time, I have really switched that up. And now I only interview authors whose books I really have enjoyed myself. Like, I feel like I'm putting my name behind it. I have read the book before I book them, and I recommend the book. It's not, you know, if I don't like the book, I just say I'm going to have to pass on this one.
1: Yeah, you can be a little bit more selective with how you're approaching things.
0: Yes, because it's a process. You know, initially starting out, I thought, how do I fill twice a week? Well, I could fill 20 episodes a week with the number of books coming out, but I wouldn't like all of them for one. But, I mean, there's just such a high volume. So now I have to really try to balance it. And most months I stick with Tuesday, Friday, but like March, which is coming up, and it was the same way last year, there are so many great books coming out that I've already read that there'll be extra episodes that month.
1: Yeah, it's you just got to put the time and effort into the ones that you're really enjoying.
0: Exactly. I want to make it something where if people are listening, they're like, okay, Cindy actually likes this book and she recommends it versus just interviewing random people to interview them. I mean, starting out, I had to, to kind of get off the ground, but now I feel like I've gone long enough. I get pitched so often that I can really be a lot choosier.
1: Yeah. So initially when you were trying to book those authors, were you relying kind of on your contacts from Murder by the Book or your salon, or was it a little bit of both?
0: It was really some of the salon people, a lot of the people from that original Facebook group, because there were so many authors in there and I had interacted with a lot of them. And then also, like, I loved Eric Ayer's book, Death and Mudlick, about the opioid epidemic. So I just shot him a note via his website. I really loved your book. I listened to it when I was driving my daughter home from college, and I was laughing, and I was crying, and I just thought it was so great. I'd love for you to come my podcast. And he said, great. So I was like, awesome. So, you know, I did some of that where there were books that I just knew I loved them, and I felt it would be such an engaging conversation because I knew a lot about the book. And then also I just reached out to like a bunch of contacts. Slowly, I got added to a lot of publisher lists. I don't even know how. And it still happens to me. All of a sudden I'll get at least five times a week, I'll hear from a new publicist that I didn't know before. But the big one that I got added to that helped a lot was Penguin Random House has a group called the Satellite Group. And all those three women do is organize all sorts of interviews for people that are Penguin Random House authors. So they have a seasonal list, three seasons, because the publishing seasons are three instead of four. And so they just recently sent out, maybe a month ago, the list for January through April, kind of early May. And they're like, okay, by month, here are the 25 authors we're offering. And then you just respond to them, okay, I want these eight or like in the winter or in the fall, it was like these two, but like for the spring, it's like these 12. And so then they have a day they interview, or sometimes if you can't do the day, you schedule another time. So that really helped getting on that list and gave me access to a lot of bigger authors that initially I would not have had access to.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a game changer. I bet you were so excited to finally get your foot in that door.
0: When it first came in, I was like, this is so cool because I didn't ask to be added. I didn't even know they existed. But somehow, I guess, you know, they just find you and those, I think you get put into databases and things like that.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how the focus of the podcast has changed over time. And you kind of mentioned just focusing more on books that you love. Are there any other ways that the podcast has evolved or changed?
0: Most definitely. And you're personally part of that. So initially, I only did author interviews, and that's all I focused on. And I can't even totally remember how I decided to also add in other things, but I started thinking you know, people love to hear about book recommendations and what people are reading and what they recommend. And I'm pretty sure I started with Elizabeth Barnhill. She and I had connected up on Instagram and Waco is not that far from Houston. And so we were talking and I said, would you ever be interested in coming on and we could just talk book recs? And she's like, I'd love to. So we did that and that episode was hugely popular. So then I decided, okay, that's another nice thing to weave in in between is you coming on and we talk about our seasonal reads or Mary and Pamela coming on and talking about future reads, Elizabeth coming on and talking about historical fiction or book club reads. And so those episodes are always really popular. And so it's fun to intersperse those. And then the other thing is I really focus on new releases. So most everybody I interview has a brand new book coming out. Now, sometimes I'll have missed a book and so I will slot somebody in, but only if I have an open window. But my main focus is books that are coming out because the publishers really want that because they want the big push at the beginning of a book coming out, helps make the lists and things like that. So then when I decided, oh, it was really fun to do some of these others, I've experimented with that. But then like this December, because there's just not much coming out at all that appealed to me that I wanted to interview anybody for, I've been trying different things. I've got a best of episode that ran. I reran an episode of Elizabeth's that had been really popular originally about nonfiction. Because I've had so many new listeners that, you know, sometimes there is a lot of content and people don't go back that far. So I've been just experimenting with what works and what doesn't. You and I are experimenting with this. And we're going to also do an Ask Me Anything follow up. So I've just kind of tried to expand and to feel like I'm not bound by anything. You know, that it's my podcast. I can do any different number of things. And so when people suggest things or I think, oh, this might be interesting, I've tried to do that.
1: I love that you've given yourself the grace and the freedom just to make it what you want to make it and appeal to a wide range of listeners. And I, for one, am so grateful to be a part of this too. It's just been so fun for me. So I'm glad that you decided to think outside the box a little bit.
0: Me too, because I love our episodes and we get such great feedback on them. And it's just really fun to talk books with you.
1: I agree. So there is so much fun that goes into the podcast, but I'm wondering if there are some difficult things about having the podcast as well.
0: Well, it takes an incredible amount of time, way more time than you would ever dream. The fun part is the sitting here talking to each other. You know, whoever I'm interviewing, that is always so much fun. But the pre-work and the post-work, even though I have a fabulous editor, I still, you know, want to go through and listen to it after she edits to make sure I'm happy with the content and to make sure it all sounds okay. And then just getting the whole episode built, getting it out there, making sure I try to promote it, letting the author know, or you know, or whoever, I mean, that, that the episode is now up. There's just a lot of behind the scenes work. I mean, way more than you'd ever dream.
1: Yeah, I can see that, especially editing the audio. Like you said, that is just such a <laughs> monster task. And so that's great that you have been able to delegate that.
0: Yes. And the other couple of things is I'm really hyper about sound, as you know. So I send out a very lengthy email about sound and what microphones pick up and staying still. I feel like a preschool teacher, I often say to all these authors, like, sit still, please, because you wouldn't believe the thumping. And, you know, like a little minor movement or a knocking of a microphone or typing on the computer will override a person's voice. And I find it distracting. And I'm sure listeners find it distracting. So I try really hard to make the sound as crisp as possible. And I had a lot of issues with Zoom when I first started. So I switched to Zencaster, where the sound is so much better. So, you know, those are the things that I really, I want it to sound good. I want people to listen and I get a lot of feedback on the sound. So I'm glad that I'm so hyper about it because it seems like it pays off.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's very quality.
0: And then the second thing related to all of that is how expensive putting a podcast together is, you know, all the different platforms and the editor, you know, all of it, just putting everything together. There's just a lot more that goes into it than you'd ever dream. And that was just something I wasn't expecting. But that's okay. I have the wonderful Patreon group now. And that helps a lot.
1: Yeah, I think you just don't realize as a listener, how much behind the scenes work goes into it and like scheduling and planning and just the small logistics of everything. And so as a listener, you just get this little snippet of an hour or half hour or something You're like, Oh, that's great. But realizing all of the work on the back end that you put in just makes you appreciate it even more.
0: Yes. It's one of those things you think, oh, somebody's just talking to a microphone and here it is. But there is just so much more that goes into it. And I don't mind that because I really do love it, but it is incredibly time consuming.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Well, how far in advance are you reading for the podcast? Is it just one season? What does that look like for you?
0: Well, as you know, I am a huge mood reader. So I try to be intentional about the time period that I'm reading, and usually it is a season ahead. Sometimes a book will be in the next season, and I've already received it, and it just is calling my name. Like recently, Laura Hankin's book, The Daydreams, which doesn't come out until May. So I've got lots of months of scheduling before that, but that is the best cover I have seen in so long. And it sounded so good. So I was like, fine, I'm just going to have to wrap it into my reading. And so I did. I loved it. I was like, okay, great. I know she and I are set up, you know, so that I can interview her. I love the book. I'll be able to rave about it. But a lot of times I have to be like, okay, I really still need a couple slots in January that I need to get the books read for so that I can commit the authors or agree to interview them. So I try to read one season ahead, long story short or short story long. I sometimes end up reading two seasons ahead.
1: Okay. I can, I'm such a mood reader too. So I feel (laughs) the pull sometimes for, balancing books that are just calling to you and books that you want to get read for a certain time frame, So I totally get that.
0: Well, I don't want it to ever be a chore either. Like I love to read and I don't want that joy of reading, joy of finding a book that I connect with, that I really love to go away. And so I try really hard to balance all of that and say, okay, I want to read Laura's book. I'm going to go ahead and read it, even though it's not coming out till May 2nd. And then I'll go back to something that's coming in January or February. The one bummer is I don't get too much backlist read anymore because I just don't have time. But you and I just did our Patreon episode for December. And we were talking a little bit about backlist books. And I loved the one that I read that was my highlight. And then yours, I just moved to my bedside table because I'm going to take it on vacation with me over the holidays because I really want to fit in some of those books that I just missed the first time around.
1: That is just the never ending struggle, isn't it? You know, you. If you miss a book when it comes out or, you know, just don't get to it, it's so hard to go back because all of these new releases are calling your name. So I get that struggle too.
0: But you're great. You do that fabulous battle of the backburners, which I can never participate in because I could never read that many backlist books. But it's so fun to see your charts and everybody else that participates. And it gives me some ideas for what to fill in on when I do have the time.
1: Yeah, it, it's great motivation to get some of those backlist books read. And my bracket, I thought was going to take me three months last year, and it took me like almost the whole year. And that's okay. I still read 16 backlist books that I wouldn't have. So it's just fun to to motivate myself in that way.
0: Absolutely. There are just times when you don't have the time to fit in some of those books. But when you do, I'm like, okay, I really need to grab this book and get it read.
1: Exactly. So talk to me a little bit about your reading life. When do you find the time to read amidst all of these things? And how has that changed over various seasons of your life?
0: Well, with respect to changing over various seasons of my life, when I was in college and law school, I had a lot of school reading. So I didn't read as much outside of that. I mean, I took some English classes in college, so I was still reading novels. But by the time I got to law school and there's just so much textbook reading, I don't think I read except in the summers a lot of novels and things like that. But other than that, I've always been a huge reader. And I don't think that part has really changed. What I find now, which is sort of hysterical sometimes, is that I have less time to read than I ever have because I'm doing so much related to reading. So I have to make myself sit down, take a break from everything else and read for a couple of hours, you know, so that I can continue to make progress through the books, but also so that I just I'm doing what is the basis for everything that I love doing. The reading is what really motivates me. So I carry a book with me everywhere I go, like my hairdresser, all my doctors. I mean, they laugh. They're like, what are you reading now? Because I always have something with me. I end up leaving it half the time places and having to go back and getting it. I always, always have a book with me no matter where I go. And then I have been trying to be better about audiobooks. I know you are a huge audiobook person. I have never been, but I'm slowly getting there, especially with nonfiction. And then I also have stuff from NetGalley digitally. So it's usually on my iPad at night because my husband goes to bed earlier than I do. So I'll stay up reading. But I also then can sync it to my phone. So if I'm out someplace and I didn't get out with a book or I have 10 minutes, I read. But I just try to fit it in 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. And then I try to have larger chunks when I feel like I'm not getting enough reading done.
1: I love how you try to protect that time and not get lost in all of the other kind of extraneous book things that you love to do too, but just really getting back to the core of your love for reading and why you're doing all of these other things in the first place. I think that's so important.
0: I think it's so important too. And I don't hear it as much as I used to, but initially people were like, you just read? That's like your job? (laughs) I was like, it is. And I love it. And so I have to kind of remember like it is my job, not in a bad way, but like I need to protect that time because if I don't read books, I can't do any of the rest of this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important. I love it so much. and just I resonate really with what you were saying about just always having a book with you and finding just those little snippets because they do add
0: up too. They do. And you're good about reminding me to do it when I'm folding laundry or if I'm sitting here. Not necessarily checking emails because I can't really read and listen, but if I'm like just sitting there, kind of chilling for a few minutes, pop on an audiobook, even if it's just 10 minutes, then I make progress through it. And then I've really started listening to them when I walk. Lately, I've been walking more with my son and husband. So we're all chatting, which is great. But when I walk by myself or with friends, I've also been walking with friends a lot. So I'm not listening to books. But when I walk by myself, I definitely have an audiobook going.
1: Yeah, that makes such a big difference. I just love how many more stories I can get through with the audiobooks in my ears. For sure. So what does a typical day look like for you with all of these things that you're juggling?
0: Well, if I have a big deadline coming up for any of my articles, that's the first thing I try to do because I am a night owl, but I am fresher in the morning. So when I first wake up, it's easier to write and kind of get that done. Then I have really gone round and round about the way I have scheduled interviews. Originally, I had only one a day and I try to kind of bunch them. Like in one week, get five or six done, and then have a bit of a break the next week. But one a day really kind of takes your whole day then because you're getting ready for it. And then it's right, it happens. And, you know, it just was very choppy to me. So now I have usually three in one day. I try to kind of stack them so that I can get them all done in one day. And then the other days are open to read and to write the articles and to edit the podcast or whatever it is else I need to do. I have found it works better if I can kind of go boom, boom, boom on the interviews.
1: Oh, that's interesting just to try to find your own workflow in that way.
0: Yes, it's really been one of those things that's taken me a long time to figure out. It sounds silly, but it really has taken me a while. Like, what's the maximum I can do in a day? I don't like just doing one a day for five days straight. You know, just trying to figure out what works best for me. I do find like when you and I do an interview or Elizabeth and I do an interview, those are longer and require a lot more talking on my part that I really only do those in a day. But if I'm just doing author interviews where I've read the book and I've already got the questions ready, that it's really easy to do three in a day. Okay. So what's your max? I have done four and I felt like I was really fried. So three is my max if I can. Now every once in a while, there'll be somebody I really want to speak to and it just happens that that's the day they can do. And I will lock in four, but four is a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, is there anything else you want to share for our little
0: coffee chat here? I don't think so, but this has been so fun and it's interesting to be on the flip side of it. I love having you ask the questions and I'm answering, though I have to sort of think through them sometimes.
1: Yes, it was so fun just to learn more about you. And I feel like I've learned more about you just in snippets throughout our friendship, but so fun just to hear it all in one spot.
0: I think the other thing I guess that I would love to share is how much I love the book world, all of the people involved in it. I feel like I have made so many friendships like yours, Elizabeth's, Mary and Pamela, you know, all these bookstagrammers. I mean, it's just so great. And on top of it, all these publicists and authors, I feel like everybody is so kind and helpful. It's been fun to meet other podcasters and trade stories. And I think that is just wonderful. Like it really just makes me so happy.
1: I agree. There's nothing that fills my heart more than the book community. It's just the best group of people.
0: And my husband laughs because he says, now when we travel, every city we go to, you're meeting up with somebody. And it's because you've made all these friends through Bookstagram or your Patreon group. And like when I went out to the Pacific Northwest three different times, we had people come meet us and I went to lunch with them or breakfast. And it was so much fun. And the same thing happens when I go to New York, because there are so many people up in New York. But I think it's just, it's wonderful how I've made all these relationships from being online, but then actually, you know, getting to know people in person as well. And I can't wait for the time when you and I get to meet in person.
1: I know. I was just thinking that I'm like, oh, I'll give you the biggest hug. Yes, for sure. Well, I had so much fun asking you questions and I was thinking it would be so fun to open this up to other readers as well. And if you have a question for Cindy, whether it's about her reading life or book recommendations for yourself or others. It would be so fun if you could submit your question either to um, myself on Instagram at kellyhook.readsbooks. You can just send me a DM or through Cindy.
0: I'd love that. You can DM me through Instagram, Thoughts From a Page. You can email me at cindyhburnett at att.net or on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. There's a contact form. But I would love for people to submit questions because I do independently get a lot of individual questions. And I think people are curious about some of these things. And so I would love to do another episode with you where we answer some of those questions.
1: Yes. So send all the questions our way. She's an open book.
0: I am. (laughs) Though sometimes that's hard for me because I'm a really private person. But I am an open book.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing your reading life and how the podcast came to be with us today, Cindy.
0: Thank you, Kelly, for organizing this and having me do it. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time.